Hi, this is Alaska Reed, and you're listening to Song Miner. Today's guest is Delwater Gap, also known, but less popularly so, as Holden Jaffe. Holden just released a record called I Miss You Already and I Haven't Left Yet. And we actually speak about the last song on that record, which is also my favorite. So I'm so happy he decided to do that one, which is called We Will Never Be Like Anybody Else. He also has a new single out called Cigarettes and Wine. So anybody that has not heard his music before should check it out. He's an awesome songwriter. And yeah, I think this is one of my favorite conversations I've done so far for Song Minor, just because I think, and I think you as listeners will be able to hear it, but Holden and I just have a really emotional connection because he was the first person to ask me to tour, do a more comprehensive tour across the U.S. with him. And it was also his first time doing that. And so it felt very intense and very special. And uh, I think we learned a lot on the road. And it was just kind of one of those things in my life that I'm always going to remember. So I'm very happy that he took me on the road for that. So I think you'll enjoy this discussion because we we aren't as literal all the time in it. And we kind of go deep and we you know, explore lots of things. So please enjoy this conversation with Holden from Delwater Gap. I also want to announce that I have a new editor on the podcast, which is saving my life and also just making me so joyous because if any of you guys had seen the files for this, it was really scary (laughs) before. So I want to give a shout out to Zios, who is editing this episode. So please enjoy. Thank you all for listening. And here's my discussion with Holden, a.k.a. Dellwater Gap. Hi, Alaska. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I was going to ask if you, to start things out, if you wanted to give a little musical history about Dellwater Gap. Yeah, I'd love to. Um I grew up in a really small town and I was bad at sports <laughs> and I was really quiet. <laughs> and so when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time sort of sitting in the woods by myself and looking up at the sky, um, which is something that I've I've later come to really appreciate. You know, I, I think maybe... Maybe you you grew up in a similar pace, but um, I had a lot of time to sit around and think, and I think naturally, um, I came to writing out of boredom. And um, when I was finishing high school, I got my high school to allow me to turn a storage closet that they had into a little recording studio. You know, they bought me some speakers and some mic stands, and I ended up building this little studio there. Um, in, in a building at the school. And then I started recording. And so my senior year of high school, I made six songs that I ended up releasing on Bandcamp as Del Water Gap and then moved to New York with no real intention of pursuing it as a, as a life or as a, as an art project, but, um, started connecting with some writers and, and musicians and producers for the first time in New York, um, who, who mirrored back to me that that Dellwater Gap in this record was was something that was worth pursuing. So um yeah, I started playing shows and and uh, it 
it really just very, very slowly over the course of years turned into a life and turned into something more than just, a, a, you know, an artistic wandering. Hmm. That's really how it started. And then, um, you know, it's it's sort of shaken itself up and and flipped over a few times here and there over the course of the years. But um, yeah, it, it is a life now. So I'm very grateful for that. That's pretty cool. I'm just thinking of you as like a little kid sitting <laughs> in some sort of forest and yeah. writing. But also it, in some way, I hope this doesn't come out harsh, but it's interesting that you say like, you had to speak to some peers and yeah. be like, have them say this is worth pursuing because I don't know. I can, I can, knowing you, I can, I can see that, but it's so funny because it's just so evident for everyone else. Like it's just so clearly there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, that's really sweet of you. Yeah. And you know, it, it's, it was honestly less about, um, insecurity or, or, um, a non-belief in Delwater Gap and more of just a great interest in other things. Like I really, really wanted to be a producer and I really wanted to be an engineer. I, I loved uh, microphones and signal flow and all that. Yeah. So I went to music school to do that and to learn how to do that. And, um, and, you know, and I think, I think, I think some of it was also just what, what was some insecurity was, was being shy. You know, I just never really sung in front of people and, it's something that I, um, you know, I think is a bit of a dividing line in in my world still between my artist friends is that there are artists I know who came up, uh, who started as recording artists and then artists who started as, you know, playing live and playing shows and then, you know, came to writing and recording as a product of that. And um, I always considered myself someone who came up in the live space because I did, I really learned how to play music in front of people in New York. But um, mm-hmm. if I really think back to it, like I am someone that's my intro into music and making music was a very private, introverted, uh, solitary experience, you know, if, if sitting by myself and obsessing and making something that I wasn't really sure anyone would ever hear. You know? So Yeah, I think that's what I meant is it, it it's hard to articulate, but it did not it doesn't feel like insecurity. It just feels like you mm-hmm. have a very private world within each mm. of your songs and that, you know, obviously you're kind of working in a, in a pop sphere. And so that really requires opening mm-hmm. up that world. But it's an interesting way that you do that because there is something about your songs like, because I've been reading a lot of your lyrics and of course mm-hmm. looking back at one of my favorite songs, Alone Together, and the demo oh, that you sent. Um, but yeah, it does. It's so private. It's so like special and kind of lonely in a cool way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, thank you for saying all that and for listening and for reading the lyrics. And um, I don't know, I, I guess that, uh, yeah, it's interesting word private because it's something, it's a word that other people have brought up to me. Like, you know, you seem like a really private person. And uh, I think that, I think that like my favorite songs you know, I find this about your music and, you know, some of the, the artists that I mentioned earlier when we were talking, like, I think there are certain songs that you can tell were written by one person alone. At least I feel like I can tell. Mm-hmm. Like there's a different feeling or a different ownership. And I think that 
I feel like I've done something right when I can make something alone, make something really privately that still feels like it approaches people with open arms a bit, you know? Yeah. Like the idea of making music without the intention of being um, accessible, but sort of accidentally being accessible by the nature of being true. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. Like that, that, that's what I'm trying to say. I think that to me is, is a big a victory in my mind when that's able to happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just have, I have that image of you and it, it clicks because it's like your connection to the source. You know, when I, I, when I read your lyrics, I see this, but your connection to this source of inspiration or this in between magical world that, that writing a song creates or, you know, opens a portal to, it's like, I can see you being like it's it's really just me and that needed and like not that you don't want to share but it's not necessarily the goal of your art to to just you know share it in a way or you know but in that way you are sharing it I'm not I'm not being very good but no I, I hear what you're saying and I, I think what I'm imagining as you're talking about it is there's a bit of a voyeuristic aspect right of like you're right because and, and once again like I'm interested to hear your perspective on this because I hear that same thing in your music that you're saying that you hear in mine of this very I can hear the sacred space that you write from you know you're 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 such a great world builder and I think that your music knowing you is such a product of your your brain <laughs> you know it's like some people make music and you're like that's amazing but that doesn't it's not maybe expected. And I think for you in the best way, like I hear your music, I'm like, that just is Alaska, like your words and your art. And it's, it, it makes so much sense to me in the best way. Um, like your art is very in, in line with your, your energetic presence, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I think, I think once again, just, just to, to touch on what, what you're referring to, I think maybe, I don't know. I I used to live in New York City. And one of the things that I loved about living in New York was these little fleeting moments of staring out the window of my apartment and seeing all these other little windows mm. across the street. I from love me that about and New getting, York. Getting glimpses of people's lives, like a flash of someone drying their hair, you know, a couple fighting, like, you know, like someone shaking out their curtains, you know, and and it all happens so obliviously, right? There's this great stage that everyone has put on in this urban landscape. And we're giving these little pinholes into people's very intimate moments. And I think that to me is a version of a visualization I have about the notion of an audience perceiving my music or hearing my music. You know, I wouldn't say that I'm someone that writes with an audience in mind. Like I definitely create with my back to the world as much as anyone else but um i think there is to your point i think i think there is a, a bit of a hope that someone will catch a glimpse of it you know from across the street because because i think i think really in a lot of cases in life and in art as artists really what we want is a witness right in friendship in romantic relationships we just we want someone to witness our experience whether that's joy whether that's pain it is very validating to be seen and to be heard in whatever yeah. experience that you're having. And um, I don't know, it's something I really, I really um, 
appreciate it on a different level. I just finished a tour, a long tour a few weeks ago. And that was one thing in particular that I really um, got a new appreciation for. And I talked quite a bit on stage about that the gratitude around being witnessed, you know, in euphoria or in pain or in sadness or in melancholy, mm. you know, how, how relieving that can be. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think part of the reason when I write what I'm writing for is I am writing for myself these memories because in a way I, I had said a lot for my last album, Big Bunny, I had said a lot like I'm writing or my last EP. I had said this is a diary and it really was because it's a way of encapsulating these feelings in my life and I never wanted those to be forgotten and so mm. I not even that I, I don't even listen to my own music but it's like something about me writing it down I can look back and and put myself in that moment of of all the things that I love or the you know the pain or or the confusion and I can I can preserve a part of my life like that and mm. so it's very cool when people see that and they feel that and they say I understand by listening to the to the music um because I can read my favorite books a thousand times and they can transport me but you know maybe it's obsessive or or I'm you know self-obsessed in some way but like I'm I'm trying to do that with my life be able to Mm -hmm. You know, when I die, that those are little pieces that, you know, people that I love can remember me by maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's not as concrete as that, but I guess I it's just saying, yeah, yeah creating a, the world that you want within this real world. Um, when sometimes mm -hmm. it feels like our real world is so against those spaces. So I feel that in your music and I oh, thank you. Yeah. That's cool no, though. Yeah. Yeah, and I it's real quick I I just I hear what you're saying about um you know wa wanting to yeah, protect a certain memory and I don't think it's self-obsessed or self-centered. I think it's I think it's a real way to honor your experience of life, you know, and I think it's I had a friend who always said that you know s songs are such they're a representation of a moment in in time, you know. And, yeah. And it's 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 yeah. a really interesting practice to go on tour too, and I I don't know if you felt any of that and all the touring that you've done, but revisiting songs years later on tour again and again, and how you're transported back in some ways as you perform those songs, and in some ways they come to take on new meanings. Yeah, definitely. They're like security blankets. Like I have certain songs in my set that I'm like, if I play this. I'm going to put us back on course or I'm yeah. going to get, or I'm going to get my head straight, you know, because this is the root. This is the essence of who I am. And this story totally. is like my safety. It's my safe space. Um, totally. Yeah. Also just to be able to look back at your life and be like, even if I'm writing characters, be like, Oh, I, I, I hopefully did a good job living it. Like I got to live little bits of magic in my life. Um, and yeah. you infuse that with your songs, but thinking about windows and looking into people's windows and that kind of urban landscape, 
do you feel like your album is a New York album? It's a good question. Yeah, I think it, I think it is a New York album. I don't think I knew it was when I was writing it, but I learned how to be an artist and I learned how to be an adult in New York. I really built my identity within that city and around that city. And I had never met other artists before I moved to New York. And I th I think so much of our artistic development is about seeing ourselves mirrored back at ourselves off of other people. When someone being in a community can teach you a lot about who you are as an artist. And so I think in a lot of ways, this album was about like the end of a certain era of my artistry and my humanity and the beginning of a new era, you know, I guess one of taking less pleasure in um, self-loathing <laughs> or self-pity. Mm -hmm. um, and I think those feelings, you know, there, there's something about New York that I think is, I think a lot of people, I know that I had a bit of an abusive relationship with that city, you know, it's, you, you you live in compromising situations and you you're all on top of each other and there's sort of an inherent anger but it it brings everyone together and there's a there's somewhat of a camaraderie in being against the city very paradoxical but i think i think that some of that and and those feelings ended up in the record and then um also just in writing for the first time pretty extensively about a few relationships i'd had that started and and um unfolded in new york new york is the backdrop for for a, a you know a, a frenetic love affair you know it's there's something about it that is very very conducive to to romance in my mind you know this this feeling of like getting off the plane in new york and just wanting to chain smoke and have a beer shot combo and <laughs> get into something you know like I don't know. There's just such a lineage too, right? Of like New York art. It's a. Uh, it's a mystery to me. I yeah. Really, Have you spent time there? A little bit, but not really. I really don't understand it fully. And that thing that you're talking about about this kind of mutual anger, love, you know, <laughs> about the city. I don't. I don't understand that, but I sense that it's there, and I. I really. I really wish I could sometimes. I really wish I could feel cool in that way. Because I feel like that's like the ultimate coolness, you know? I think Montana cool is pretty fucking cool. Like, um, yeah. You yeah. Know, but... Maybe I'm just romantic some, romanticizing something I don't fully understand. But I think um, I have found your, your part of the country extremely romantic for very different re reasons, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like there is a deep connection between your art and? and montana or la like do, do you feel a a resonance you know a, a location resonance in your music this is something i think about a lot because it stresses me out because uh -huh. also i think part of the reason i write songs is to feel like i have a place in, in both right. of those places because my life hasn't really had a full footprint in either or right. I've had a foot in both in this weird way. Right. I think my writing captures a sort of Western spirit. And I, <laughs> that's like such a cheesy way to say it, but you know, the town and the area, as you know, 
in Montana that I'm from has a lot of, it's had a lot of amazing writers live here that have written about mm-hmm. the West in some way, but none of them have necessarily been from here. And mm-hmm. so I think that is something that's inspiring for me. And I think I feel connected to that kind of, you know, you're driving on the, on the 15 North and there's like sunset, a beautiful sunset. And then there's trash all over the side of the highway. <laughs> and it's like, that is my writing, you know, yeah. oh, that, man. but I don't, I'm very fascinated with, and I think something that this is also something that enchants me about your work is I, I, I feel kind of this thing about it being, I feel the small town in you. And then I feel also the kind of urban metropolis vibes and I'm, I don't understand it. And I, and I wish I could. And so I guess the closest way that I can live through it is through, through art. Um, mm-hmm. but it's interesting cause your song, we will never be like anybody else feels I don't know it doesn't necessarily feel exactly like a city song but it has Mm -hmm. some of that like eastern U.S. I don't know environment
let's let's talk about it. I, I wanna yeah, I wanna hear your thoughts. To. Yeah, I mean that that song in my mind, the memories that I was writing about were were New England memories. Okay. Which I grew up in in New England, um, in a small town and the the moments in which I left New York City to go reconnect with myself or reconnect with, you know, a partner would happen in these pilgrimages out of New York into New England to sit and be in touch with nature and swim and slow down and lie on the floor and watch the sunlight and check in with myself. And um, that song came out of a memory about doing that, essentially, you know, running and running and running and running for years, nonstop on tour, making records, just the absolute insanity and joy and pain of, of that life of touring and the realization that so much avoidance can happen if you have a certain pace in your life. And I, I don't know if that's something that you've ever considered or thought about as someone who also has toured quite a bit the last few years, but um, I think real moments of, of necessary self-discovery or emotional auditing, perhaps like you're able to defer that when you're traveling all the time. Like I find that so much of tour is about putting one foot in front of the other and just finding a meal and being able to get some sleep. And it's also not about, I never think about tour as really being about me. You know, it's, 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 a, it's about the people that come to the shows and it's also about just being a good leader within my, yeah. my touring group. And, um, <laughs> and like, you know, trying to make sure that everyone feels taken care of. And, and as a result of that, I feel like so much, so much of my, yeah, my internal work or, or my, my work within relationships, friendships, romantic relationships really would get deferred to these very specific windows, you know, where there would just be a week or two of like, okay, now we're going to catch up on six months of really heavy, hard, emotional work. And um, that song is a bit of an ode to that, that pace and that style of processing and finally catching a moment with someone that you've had so much to say to and, and you've been holding on to it because you haven't found the right time to say it. And finally, you you find a moment and a lot comes out that you didn't think you needed to say you didn't mm. think you had in you and then it's in the air and then what do you do once you've said something and you've realized that you feel something and and you can't take it back and just what what that feels like you know it's just to sort of see the the color of 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 like that space between two people change you know and I guess like the sadness in that and the I guess the joy in that too, but but I think that song in particular is about just like a deep, deep tragic sadness about realizing that the stories that you've told yourself about a relationship or a connection 
have not been a whole picture of the truth. Which is just what we do as humans, right? We tell stories and and that is such a part of how we find meaning in life and how we get through the day and how we connect with people and how we formulate self-image. But um, yeah, I, I have found that there are these real, real moments of like immense clarity. And um, that song is just about a, a particular moment that I had of, of, of just like, oh, this is, yeah, this is, this is powerful. And I, I didn't know what this was. And now I know, and I know that it's maybe not as tied up in a bow as I always thought it was. And I'm just trying to figure out what to do with that, you know? sort of existential negotiation of of that realization yeah here's a fucked up question when you're in the when you're in the deep shit of whatever that song is about are you saying to yourself i'm gonna write a song about it (laughs) no you know it's (laughs) i used to do that and then um and then i stopped doing that and i think me stopping doing that had a lot to do with feeling a bit uh artist artistically burned out from touring like I, I i i didn't feel like i took very good care of my artist on tour my internal mm. artist but um yeah i mean we absorb things that we don't even realize we're absorbing so uh that that song happened really accidentally i didn't really know that i wanted or needed to say that but it just just happened but but more recently you know i'm finally having some breathing room um and i'm actually having that feeling again of of or furiously writing things down as I hear them and think of them. And I don't know if you ever saw uh, the Dewey Cox story. You ever remember that movie? Walk Hard. Oh my God, did I? I it's might this have. It's a great John C. Riley movie that is, it's effectively like a, a parody of Walk the Line. It's great. But there's this recurring theme in that movie that I always really connected with where him and his wife, you will be fighting and she'll say something and then he'll have like a light bulb moment and be like, <laughs> oh my God. And she's like, no, 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 no. Like, don't go write a fucking song right now. You know? Yeah. But what about you? Do you, do you feel yourself actively mining as you live and as you go through life and as you experience things? I think I'm more separated from it than you are. I, I feel like you, you I, I, I feel worried for you sometimes because I feel like, <laughs> I feel like you dangerously write these like fucking painful, oh. soul bearing, you know, heart tear out moments. And I, I, I avoid that. I think <laughs> I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but sometimes I'm like, oh shit, like Holden's going there. But maybe you're just fooling me and you're doing an excellent job at, at creating characters that are so real and and you're inhabiting that role. Like, that's actually something I want to talk to you about. That was one of my questions is like, how close to the truth is everything mm-hmm. in your songwriting? And like, do you try and blur things? Like, is that important to you? Because it's, it's really important to me because being raised around writers I always thought that the fiction element was really important because it's it's a protection measure you know in a way right you're saying just to protect the people in your life no I'm just it's worse than that I just want to protect you want to protect yourself I just want to protect my and and those people are are part of it you know I hear you yeah yeah 
I always thought about Delwater Gap. The art that I make via Delwater Gap is truth with certain dials turned up and certain dials turned down. Great. It's all it's all effectively true. Um, I think a lot of the reason that I started a project using a project name rather than my name was the idea of being able to play with truth mm-hmm. and identity and personal history in a way that I feel like I wouldn't have been able to if I had just used my name. I think I was right. I mean, that decision a long time ago, but I, th- I think it was for me personally the right decision because I get to suit up into Delwater Gap. It's definitely me. It's not a character. It's not a, a many years long performance piece by any means, but I... There is a there is a moment when when I feel myself click in to that version of myself that allows me to yeah pull strings in a different way. You yeah, know? I mean I said it before, but I just think storytelling is such an inherent part of being a human, and um, I always really struggled with metaphor. And I think to allude to something that you said earlier about my music feeling whatever the word that you used you know something about bearing my soul and maybe your music to you feeling like a slightly bit more like arm's length like i i think that the only the only difference at least in my understanding as i as a fan of your music is is the use of metaphor which is something that i really admire about your music um i think that you're able to infer a lot more um and infer things in a very visual, poetic way, where I think that just by the nature of how I became a writer, which was reading certain authors whose voices are very colloquial, I think that naturally my music and my writing voice was always one that was very colloquial. And I I really struggled with finding a way to not simply write lyrics that would be could be taken out of the context of a song and just spoken to someone and they would feel like a normal thing to say to someone mm-hmm. so i guess i guess what i'm saying is that that i i always thought of that sort of colloquial nature as a bit of a limitation you know but i i think one of the one of the important parts of artistic maturation is realizing your limitations and playing to them and saying like this is just what i what i do and this is just what i what I have to work with and and that is what makes me who I am. But yeah, I I I just with regard to character writing too, I I have a tremendous amount of respect for uh people who are able to just build believable characters, you know, in their music and in their art. I think it's such a talent. Because it, it takes a real understanding of people. You know, I think you have to be an observer to be able to to build a believable character. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we do it similarly in a way. I mean, I'm always, everything is, comes from a truth and I blend it with other things. Um, Mm -hmm. and I never am writing necessarily about for the most part, people who are mega close. I think that's more what I'm saying is, is like, I feel that you are often writing songs about that you know, nuclear person in some time of your life that's the closest person to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that 
yeah. is so brave. And that's something I don't do because I'm fearful. I don't know. And and you write your songs yeah. with such you you I fall in love with whoever you are talking about in your in your song. Oh, like man, that's, you so that's a I, sweet thing to say. Yeah. You know what I mean? I I, yeah. and I think that's yeah. like a, a I think your one of your strongest talents is in that that way you're so loving even when there's conflict like you're so loving mm -hmm. to that person that you're writing about and i guess that ties into that That's thing true. about you saying that you're maybe not always as loving to yourself in the songs i don't know or maybe or in your life yeah I don't know. yeah i mean it's such a such a such a thoughtful thing to say and thank you and means means a lot and i've never thought about that the notion of someone listening to my music and falling in love with the person that I'm in love with. <laughs> That's such a powerful, interesting new perspective. Um, I don't know. I, I think maybe it's just a reflection of like getting a bit older and, and realizing how complex human connection is. I mean, it's just, we, we, we grow up thinking that relationships, at least I grew up thinking that relationships started and ended or succeeded or failed for these very one-dimensional reasons, you know, whether that mm -hmm. was Hollywood that taught me that or friends or my parents, but this idea that the idea that someone has like a crazy ex, you know, or like that this relationship failed because this person something, you know, and, and then, and then just getting older and then being in more relationships and starting to really understand how rarely things are actually that simple. Like we're not that lucky most of the time that we can, take a look at why a connection works or doesn't work and, and have some beautiful one line explanation for it, you know? And then in, in, in doing that, realizing that it's a real active practice to hold yourself and hold another person through all of the trials and tribulations of trying to figure that out. Like it's really hard work and it takes a tremendous amount of mutual trust, you know, to, get close with someone and get deep with someone and to hurt someone. I mean, to let someone go takes a tremendous amount of trust and a tremendous amount of care. And yeah, I guess I'm just agnostic about all of it. I don't, I don't know. You know? Yeah. Like in the same way that you don't know, we just, we don't, we don't really know what we're doing. Right. We're just trying to make sense of it and do the right thing. And I think once again, art and having the ability to write is such a beautiful mechanism for self-discovery and and also, it's a, such a beautiful mechanism for acceptance of complexity. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's hard. It's, it's for me, it's been one of the hardest. It's been one of the hardest psychological, spiritual, emotional um, experiences in my life has been holding conflicting truths to be true. I mean, I, I think we all struggle with it, but it's been the thing that has been like the number one spiritual nemesis for me recently it's just the fact that that things are so rarely black and white and and so much of seeing nuance is being comfortable with sitting in a gray area and it's it can be maddening right like oh definitely i think i'm weirdly at peace with that sometimes maybe it's just how i'm wired you seem wired that way i have other <laughs> problems but i'm weirdly at peace with being like understanding that things could go to shit in in some way with with in with someone but also understanding that they couldn't 
I, I'm having a hard time articulating what I mean, but being at peace with exploring both options in my head. Because some people mm-hmm. get really upset by the idea of being like, well, this thing could happen down the line when they're in this kind of uh, honeymoon period and in whatever relationship, platonic or, yeah. or not. And I'm really, in, I, I definitely explore... I probe into the region of like, oh, what's uh, the worst thing that could happen? And, and being like, okay, good to know. And I hold that with me in the present moment. And uh, that's probably anxiety as well. I have no idea, but. But no, I think that's brilliant. I mean, is that, is that something that you feel like you had to learn? Or do you feel like that that is a, was a part of your upbringing or your programming? or? I have no idea. Sometimes I think I know myself. I don't. I think I'm really stoic. Like, I think that I'm so stoic. In my head, I'm like the most stoic person. (laughs) I perceive you as a stoic person. Because I feel like no one else does. Really? Because I perceive you as the chillest person. Like the most... I just, I find your presence so, so, so calming and comforting. Because you seem so... You've always seemed so okay with yourself and with the nature of the world. And... That's so funny. It's you and Nick. You and Nick. Yeah. I remember when you were like, yeah, Nick. Did you say I reminded him of his therapist or something? I was like, I thought that was so funny. I can't remember. No, because it's. <laughs> I was like, you don't do really you... have therapist vibes because I think you're so off the cuff about your. God. I don't know. You're just you. I think that's a really brilliant thing, though. I mean, it's something that my therapist, not to say that you're a therapist, <laughs> so yeah, my therapist has pushed me to do, you know, it's like when, when the worst case scenario appears, right? When you're down a bit of a rabbit hole of like, this thing could happen. Like, responding to that with another version of a potential future, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just as likely, right? Like, if you say... Okay, this person didn't text me back. They probably hate me, right? And like in that moment being like, well, it's also very likely that they don't hate me and that they're just busy. Yeah. And like really actively trying to respond to negative narrativizing with a with a bit of a positive potential. I think it's important. I think it's a good muscle to work, you know. I think I I think I also am kind of like I really, I'm in this thing where I'm like, I really love in, in, in some relationships in my life, work ones. I'm like, I'm really in it with this person now and I love them, but down the line, if something goes wrong, can I be okay with that? Mm -hmm. I think I, I think I test that in the height of, -hmm. of the honeymoon. Mm-hmm. I don't always I don't always enjoy doing that, but I think that's something I just I hold that together and I hold a I don't know. I don't know. It's dumb. I think that's really wise, you know. I think it's it's a version of non-attachment, you know. It's it, the way that you're talking about it doesn't sound like ca- you know, catastrophic fantasizing. It really does feel feel beautiful because I think, you know, in a working relationship and a romantic relationship and a friendship I don't know. We we have to there has to be some level of faith, right? That yeah. That my universe is not going to come crumbling down around me if this person disappears. Yeah. It's hard. 
But I think that that is an inherently good practice because I think it allows you to love people in a bit more of an open-handed way too. You know? Yeah, because it's not everything. I mean, there's people in my life, I, it's like everything and that's terrifying. Of course, of course. But yeah. my sister is also an artist and as you mm-hmm. know, and she really has to, she has to go on that adventure to get good art. And yeah. for me as... A sibling, I find that very, very stressful. Do you feel like <laughs> you're like that sometimes where you have to go there? And you're, it's not like you have this idea of getting good art in your brain, but you have to live to this really extreme level to write these amazing songs. I don't know. Completely. I mean, it's thing I've thought about so much. <laughs> I feel that in your work. Uh, I, I feel mean, that in yeah. <laughs> For a long time, yeah. You know, I think that I... I practiced quite a bit of self-destructive behavior for years. I think with the subconscious thought or belief that that would be something that would be good for my art. I mean, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's like, am I acting this way because I'm a self-destructive person at heart and that makes me somehow create a certain type of art? Or is it that I want to create a certain type of art and somewhere deep in my wiring, I think that the type of person that creates a certain type of art needs to be self-destructive, you know, and that was something that in my early twenties was something that was really tortured me, you know, like having a lot of trouble in retrospect, as much trouble as any normal person, but like trouble, just like doing what I knew to be the right thing in a lot of situations with myself more than anyone, you know, just like, like, you know, that that feeling when you're like, I'm going to do this and I know it's going to make me feel terrible, but I'm still going to do it. Like, just having that feeling a bit, you know? Yeah. And, and I outgrew that, you know, and which was a very relieving thing to me. And, um, but there was a period of time. Um, I outgrew that. I, I feel like in retrospect, I really started to outgrow that when the pandemic started and I got sober and I was in a very dedicated relationship and a lot was really like stabilizing and becoming less chaotic. And amidst all of that joy and peace, there was like a real, um, a real fear that it would turn the wellspring off. Hmm. And it didn't like, of course it didn't, you know, it, um, it forced me to just go a little deeper and, I, I really now feel like I'm in a place where I don't see chaos like at all. I'm I'm so, <laughs> so, so here to to try and take care of myself and take care of people and and have things be simple, which is a relief, you know? It's a relief to not yeah. feel like you need to chase it. And no, but but in a lot of ways it did force me to relearn how to be an artist, you know? And yeah. Even you know, getting medicated, like I started taking Lexapro. And and that was another, I was very trepidatious about this idea of changing my brain chemistry, even if it was one that was going to make my experience of life simpler. This notion that I would be fogging this lens in some way. But um, I, 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 I do genuinely believe that a happy artist is a good artist. I really believe that. Yeah, I do too. Really believe that. I think that once again, maybe it's just harder to access um, that power, but it's always there. I mean, so much of our work is 
It's a muscle. How do we tap into that? Yeah. How do we tap into that, um, you know, that great hive mind or whatever, whatever you want to call it? How do we tap into that? It's like, it's always there, right? It's always, yeah. the song is always there. The painting is always there. It's always, the potential is always there. It's just about being open and being able to access it. I saw the chaos. I remember we were in Ohio. I was opening for you. I think we were in Columbus and we go upstairs and you're like, just going to open my suitcase, get a show outfit. You know, you're organizing your merch. You're like getting your sound check done. You're very businesslike and you just open the suitcase and, and it's just like overflowing, like tangled rumpled clothes like everything you have then you lean over and you become like a creature and you're like going through and be like this will be yeah you're like this will be my show outfit and then at the end of the show it just kind of just gets closed oh yeah oh my god i remember that too but (laughs) that's the chaos you you You, you were like like full gorilla mode or something you had some great i don't know i just felt you look like like a like a bear or like a werewolf or something when you got into yeah. that suitcase it was like full animal and i was like oh okay i yeah. see that i, mean, I see that holden holds <laughs> the chaos close yeah when it, it manifests in funny ways like that to your point you know it's like and it's I mean, like it was funny too because that time like i i'm so happy that we were together for that time because that was my first experience touring and you were a good friend to have through all of that and I mean, it, it, it that touring in particular, like, yeah, it's it has just I've I've struggled to uh, to stay sane on tour yeah. as so many people do. I mean, and I'm I'm seeing more people having conversations about this, just like touring and mental health. And it was definitely something that I took me years to figure out. I mean, the suitcase is like a. <laughs> microcosm of a much bigger problem right and it's just like how do you how do you regulate when everything is moving around you you know and you're having these massive spikes of adrenaline and then um you're not sleeping and you're eating at strange hours and yeah yeah i mean how do you tether yourself when everything that normally tethers you disappears and it's takes some time you know do you write on tour did you write on this last tour any new stuff or is that can you not find tap into that headspace? I just I wasn't ready on this last tour. Like I had just finished my album, and I think I was honestly just feeling really present for the first time in a really beautiful way. It was a first tour that I really enjoyed and really felt proud of in a holistic sense. Um, yeah, yeah. Th- so so I I was not making art because I was really hyper present, which is a That's good reason cool. to not make art. You know. Yeah, no, I that's felt very, cool. very tapped in and um, very emotional. And but you know, always, always sort of finding bits and pieces, right? Like, like I, you know, like a bit of what we did that time that you came over to the studio, just finding lines and splatter painting a bit and all that, all that stuff. You know, the research part of it. I feel like you don't have a writing ritual per se. Don't I, like like to, I mean, I, I did for years. I was such a good student about it for years. I used to write a song every or I I would try to write two songs every week, you know, and I journal a lot. And it's it's just uh once again, like touring and COVID just really threw everything out the window. And 
in an ultimately really positive way, but it, uh, I don't know. I'm like, re- I'm just re- I'm relearning how to write in That's a really cool, big way. That's cool though. That's cool yeah. for the new album to just, yeah, you know, be like, oh, I have these building blocks and what am I going to make now? It's cool. It is exciting. Yeah, it's daunting. And I guess, the, you know, that's sort of the point as an artist to constantly remind yourself that you know nothing and try to learn something. But yeah. um, and then some of it's been co-writing. You know, I don't know how much co-writing you do. I guess we, we've both sort of come to it recently, but it's just a very different artistic practice, right? Like being in yeah. a room with someone and at least for me, co-writing for myself, you know, co-writing for Delwater Gap, like building that voice with another person has just been such a different experience, you know? You seem troubled by it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. I don't know. I think it's it's more so that it's just, um, I think there's a bit of a, uh, it's like anything else, right? Like when it's good, it's it's good. But it's really hard to find good. I have found, like I've just done so many writing sessions and it's it's sort of like, um, I don't like date, but I've I've heard that it's, my friends that are dating, I think I've heard of sort of a similar narrative yeah. that's like, you know, you go on like, you go on a date with a stranger and like, you know, in the first 15 seconds, whether you're going to click or not, like you yeah. just know. And then just what what you do when that click doesn't happen. And then sort of the dance of trying to salvage an amount of time together. Or, My God. You know, and maybe like the self, the self critical voice that could come out in that i mean i've I've felt that in co-writing where you know i'll do like 20 sessions in a row and just none of them are right you know and and i start sort of getting in my head about like what if i'm just not a good writer you know and then and then one of them does work and you're like oh this is just an incredibly delicate and sacred thing and like i knew that i seem to be reminded that yeah it has to be right it has to writing with someone is such an you know an immense it's just such a vulnerable yeah position to be in and it isn't for everyone you know i think a lot of people especially in la it's just like there's a there's a a different part of the industry which is just um crafting songs and i don't think there's anything wrong with that you know it's just it's in some ways a different industry and i think part of learning how to co-write in my way is having some self-acceptance about what co-writing actually means for me yeah which is not always about like finishing a song in three hours. It's really about what are we going to discover here? And and can we discover something together? Yeah. What do you think is the most unshakable part of your song? Like when you're collaborating with someone, where do you put your foot down? And you're like, no. It's always lyrics. You know, I think that that lyrical taste is such a particular and delicate mechanism, you know, like I, it, taste is everything to me like no matter how good a producer a mixer a writer is it's just like do you have a shared notion of what's good and i think with lyrics it's just it's immediately really apparent you know and i'm I'm sure you felt versions of this where there's these moments when i feel like i'm all of a sudden singing someone else's words um and And that's uh, gross that's a crazy it's gross you know and subtle it can be literally the difference between two very similar words that just have a different mouthfeel or whatever, you know, but it's, it's disturbing to me. So I, I will, I'm trying to get better at speaking up. I'm pretty delicate with people and not very good at saying I don't like something that they did, but. I know you're so nice. 
sometimes I'm like, Holden, you got to get assholey. <laughs> like, not really, because I love you, because you are so kind. But sometimes I'm like, damn. I hear you, though. I mean, it's. I was just talking to a friend last night about it. Um, you know, she she was reflecting on that, just going through a record and putting it out and feeling like she fell short in trying to be a people pleaser, which yeah. I don't know that I'm a people pleaser, but there's... No, you're not. You're not. There's certain aspects, you know, in creative situations where I I feel the need to take care of people, which I don't think is a bad need, but I think that what you're saying and something that I'm trying to practice is understanding that if someone's working with me to work on my record, like it is about me and that doesn't make me a narcissist, right? Like it's just, that's what we're doing. Like we're making a Delaware Gap record and it's okay to just let that be exactly what it's supposed to be. Yeah, no guilt. But that's really hard. That's a really hard thing to practice. How are you with that? Like, I don't know how much you've co-written for your own project because I think it's a bit easier when it's not your music, but... um. How do you feel like you you are um, with regard to telling collaborators that you don't like something? I don't know. I haven't done a collaboration with somebody in so long that I haven't had that very intense connection with where right. where we were totally okay with with saying no to each other. Like I kind of been, that's been my new thing of this last year. I've been cultivating relationships where I co-write with people either for themselves or potentially for myself, but where I'm totally, where we're totally okay. We're on the level together. Um, I really like writing with other artists that haven't written with a lot of other people because of that, because it's kind of like this thing we both have to do. Like we have to enter this relationship with this kind of emotional contract to be really fucking honest and uncompromising. Yeah. And being uncompromising about what our wants are because we are both fully developed artists. Um, Mm -hmm. So I find that has been really fulfilling in my life. I haven't done other kinds of co-writes recently, um, but I've definitely had a hard time saying no. And I've also definitely met people where it was completely wonderful and and they were totally cool and or they contributed something cool early, early on when I was doing lots of different sessions. And But I'm just sort of in this mode now where I'm like max intensity with whoever I write with. I want that. Right. Um, if, especially if it's for myself and also if it's for their artist project, because I want to just like, I want to put some blood on the paper for them, you know? Totally. I mean, it's, it's so cool that you think about it that way. And I love, you know, that emotional contract or however you put it. Yeah. Well, it's also, and cause I think we're both people that were in bands or started out in bands and it's, it's an interesting <laughs> world to come from, right? This like oh artistic democracy, you know, and yeah. I have to forget sometimes <laughs> I'm not in a band. You know, but I guess like working with a producer in some sense, you know, if you're doing a whole album with someone, in a sense, you are in a band together. And yeah, for that period of time, you know, the idea of we're going to keep working on this until we both love it is inspiring to me. You know, sometimes there's those moments where it's like you're walking on a lake and you're not sure if it's fully hard enough to support you. The ice on a frozen lake, if it's hard enough to support you yet, you take a step you say something that's kind of bold and you're like, I might just fall into the icy water and like really fuck this up. But it's nice, it's nice to create a space though, where there's that chance, you know, there's that real chance and that person will tell you if, if you've like 
punch through the ice. And I don't even mean that in the in the typical way. Like I want to actually be standing on the ice. Like I want to be supported with every artistic mm-hmm. decision with them and, and them to be like, yes, I'll meet you there. Um, or if you just like fall in and are really uncomfortable for a second. But I Well, I mean, and that's a, that's a real, yeah. I mean, that specific feeling is a very real fear of mine. Saying 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 a wrong lyric into the air. Yeah. (laughs) Letting that it's very vulnerable. It's very vulnerable. So to wrap things up, you're talking about kind of trying to reconfigure maybe the way you write. Like so what's tell me what's next. Like tell me if there's any way you could tell me how you're gonna put that into practice or Mm -hmm. are you gonna do a concept album or is it is it simpler than that? Yeah, I, um, I, I really, to put it very simply, I really want to reconnect with writing alone, at least as That's the beginning cool. stages of writing, you know, like getting, getting my foot in the door a bit on a few songs that feel like they have an identity before I involve someone else. And I am starting a new album and I, on a practical level, I just, I, I really want to make an album start to finish with one partner with one producer so i'm gonna pretty actively try to do that um just because i've never had that experience and i've always done things mixtape style a bit you know a little bit here a little bit there and also that's a financial thing sometimes i think oh completely yeah completely i mean i've never had the ability in the past to just actually hold up with someone to make an album and a lot of it's been yeah just doing as much as i can alone and then you know having someone coming at the finish line and um and my my last album was not that you know I, I worked a lot with this guy Sammy and this guy Ethan and we made all of it together for the most part but um there was something that splintered about the way that we worked and it it was so much of it had to do with just my life and touring and having to make the album in you know one or two week spurts every six weeks but um yeah it seems like I may actually have the opportunity to work consecutively for a couple months it's on music thing. and i'm terrified by that idea like <laughs> the notion of having space and time is sort of daunting but um i have a lot to say right now which is like lucky you know there's a lot um that i need to there's a lot of blood to put on the paper to use your yeah your term like I'm I'm terrified and excited to to start tapping into that again. And and honestly just I have a real urge to just read more again. I um I have gained so much from the authors that I've spent time with. Yeah. And that's not something that I've honored as much in the last couple of years. Once again as I've been touring, I have found it incredibly hard to to read just you know, giving into that that tore malaise brain fog a bit and just yeah it's hard preferring to stare out the window for three hours rather than reading and it's uh Who's i feel like you were reading on tour did you i feel like you had a, you were reading a bit <laughs> yeah fuck you you're gonna come humiliate me at the last part <laughs> yes i was no, reading like like I'm horse a... mystery novel thrillers yes nothing See, but like that's um but like that that's actually something that i i want to practice more is just reading books that i'm going to enjoy because i think I, i've been a bit of a snob about it and i need to read some great literary masterpiece and i'm sort of like choking it down you know it's like yeah. you know it's like 
but but like it yeah no i think it's it's really important to read something that you like reading so yeah you gotta read biggest part of writing who's your who's your guy who's your person who's your writer I mean, my my first guy who I have not sat with much recently, but Kurt Vonnegut was the first author I got into when yeah. I was a kid. He was the first time I found an author and he had a very cohesive world and a cohesive voice. You know, and I read like five or six of his books in a row and really noticed the effect that that had in that moment on my writing, you know, like feeling the lens of my writing start to shift because I was spending so much time with his work. I had a summer experience with Murakami. I got into him in probably 2017, 18, and similarly read most of his his books back to back. And I can see and, that. Um, it just really at the time and probably to this day, really like just affected affected my um my voice. But um I don't know. Right now I'm reading some Eve Babbitts. Like I have been really oh. on an active pursuit to fall in love with Los Angeles and I met a friend at a party who gave me this book and and um so I'm 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 trying to take some time with LA literature, read some Didion. Cool. Um maybe some Bukowski. He's he, a lot of his stuff is very LA centric even though he's he's kind of a vile human being. He uh he wrote some interesting LA vignettes. Um I mean Jim Jim Harrison, you know, we've talked about Jim Harrison. I I am not someone who spends a lot of time reading poetry, but his work has meant a lot to me over over the years. Yeah. I have loved reading the work that he made towards the end of his life. You know, there's something about his acceptance with decay. He I mean, he's 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 he you know, he's obviously brilliant about he writes a lot about nature and about being in Montana and experiencing nature and he does a really good job of um paralleling like the decay within his own body and his own mind with the decay that he sees in the world and taking comfort in that in the natural world rather you know this notion of i'm getting older and my brain's getting foggier and my knees hurt and i can't walk the way i used to but but there's also like an elk corpse rotting over there <laughs> and that is also decay and i am no different than that and this is just the circle of life and death and I have a really old grandma. My grandma's 99 and she is for her age in incredible health. But but she similarly like takes, I have learned to go comfortable with um, her impending death and her impending uh, um, decay, you know, just being the age that she is because of her comfort with it and her open-handedness about her mortality. And um, so... You know, in a lot of ways, she has been the center of my life. And um, so I think in, in particular recently, as, you know, as she has gotten noticeably older, specifically Jim Harrison's work has has meant a lot to me. And it, it, has, it has given, yeah, I've taken comfort in, in his comfort. Yeah, that's how they help us. You got to now read yeah. some Kate Braverman and, and Ross McDonald. Those are some good good LA authors. Well, thank you so much, Holden. Thank you, Alaska.